Maverick News presents The Rick Walker Show Defrag your mind Good evening, Maverick family. Good evening, new viewers. Welcome, everyone. Welcome back to the Maverick News Channel. Tonight, a little bit different because I, I want to want to talk about immigration, the housing crisis, the government response to the housing crisis, the money they are going to spend in 15-minute cities. That's going to be sort of the focus of the whole thing. And wrapping around all of that, or maybe that wrapping around everything else that I'm going to talk about, will be culture, population explosion, or collapse, societal change because of technology, And hope. When we're done, I hope that your perspective might be clearer, a little bit clearer on this. I, I, I'm going to be editorializing a fair amount, but also presenting facts and perspective. I think that everything that's been going on with the housing crisis, Palestine, Israel, refugees, immigration, technology, it's all converging. And we need to talk about this. Because people's perspectives are skewed because of political narratives that are being spun up online. And for political reasons, people are being manipulated emotionally and people are not thinking clearly about the challenges that we are being confronted with. And I think there's there are reasons for that. But that's why I want to focus on that tonight. We'll get into some of the other news of the day as well. Um, we'll talk about the shooting in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Father and son murdered out there. That's all related to crime, and that actually ties back into everything else that we're going to talk about. And it'll even tie back into what happened to Leo yesterday with his mailbox being vandalized. May have actually been an attempted theft of mailbox. What a weird thing that was. He caught that on video. Some guy came along and 
literally toppled his mailbox right in his front yard, right by his front porch. There's a reason that happened. And it ties directly into our subject matter tonight. So now that I've teed everything up, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll touch on the news of the day, I guess, at least one or two things. And then we'll get into the meat of the discussion that I really want to have tonight. And a reminder, too, as well, and I should check the time, the date on the, the time on this. We have a special broadcast tomorrow, special presentation, an actual debate of sorts, tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, a debate on the Israel-Palestine issue. And uh, that's going to be a special Maverick News presentation. So... You're not going to want to miss that one. That should be, uh, I think it's going to be heated, but hopefully civil. So that'll be a big one tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here. And also simulcasting on other Maverick News Network channels, like Kevin Michalizzi's channel. I think Lori's probably going to have it on hers. I don't know. Anyway, it'll be here for sure, too. So let's take that break, and we'll come back on the other side and get into today's top news stories. Greetings, brave Mavericks. Our quest for truth continues. We go beyond fake news. Together we expose propaganda. Together we pull others. Out. Of rabbit holes. We are maverick thinkers. We are all unique individuals. individuals. Defenders of individual rights and freedoms. Credible. Trusted. Grounded in reality. Maverick News. Maverick News. Defending free speech, free speech, speech. Donate at freedomreporters.com. Do it now. Tomorrow, maybe too late. Too late. Too late. Too late. Maverick News. The world is watching.
Hello, I'm back. So, for Canadians, this is uh, an important story. Heartbreaking and alarming. Police are saying out in Edmonton that a boy that was killed in a shooting in southeast Edmonton yesterday was killed intentionally. Harp Upple, 41 years old, and his 11-year-old son were both shot and killed. This happened at a shopping complex on 50th Street and Ellerslie Road. Happened around noon. So emergency crews were called to the scene. And uh, when they arrived, they found the two victims in a car or a vehicle and uh, were in medical distress. And so, uh, of course, we have certain, well, the boy's name, I guess. People are um, reporting the boy's name is Gavin. So, Acting Superintendent Colin Dirksen did, uh, did answer questions about this today out in Edmonton for the media. And he says that uh, this is very upsetting for him to have to talk about the death of a child involved in a shooting event. And uh, he says that investigators believe that uh, the boy was killed because of his father's criminal history. Police say that uh, the father was well known to them and uh, they believe that he was a high-ranking figure within the organized crime world, the drug trade, the drug illicit drug industry out in Edmonton, Alberta. So that was basically it. And the police are saying that it's, it's pretty clear to them. They say it appears that the boy was not simply caught in crossfire, that they believe he was actually intentionally killed so police don't exactly know what the motives for the killing might have been but they, they believe that it has direct ties to the father's activities within that community so, um, police also say that Dirksen was previously targeted at a shooting at a Royal Pizza back in October of 2021, and they had issued multiple warrants for somebody named Harsh Jindal in 
of that case. And he faced a number of charges, including attempted murder, aggravated assault, and discharge of a firearm, but the charges were eventually stayed. And police say that Jindal had always maintained his innocence with respect to the shooting at the Royal Pizza location. In any event, we have uh, we have a clip with uh, police here. I'll bring it up, and here we go. News conference with Edmonton police. We'll provide updates on the investigation. Uh, as well as confirmation of both cause and manner of their deaths after those autopsies. It's upsetting for me to be here today to confirm the death of a child following a shooting event. The loss of a child at the hands of gun violence is an unthinkable tragedy and one we should we should never have to report on in, in our city or anywhere. It's understandable that Edmontonians are shaken today, and in particular, those who live in the area where the shooting took place and possibly saw it happen. There were, there were many eyewitnesses to this. And it goes without saying that a public shooting in broad daylight uh, near a busy shopping complex in a, in a city is extremely dangerous. And I'll add that we know there was also a daycare right next door to where this uh, this happened. And even though this was a targeted event, um, the risk to members of the public was significant and terrifying, really. Think about it. Uh, this incident is just another reminder, a stark reminder of the dangers that bystanders face when violence erupts in public spaces. And I, I wish I didn't have to say things like that, but unfortunately it's happening all too often. So driving, shopping, walking, doing whatever near your home should not be unsafe like this. And we're lucky that we're not reporting on additional deaths or injuries today. Unfortunately, gun violence remains an ongoing trend in Edmonton. And this is not the first time members of the public, including kids and families, have been put at risk like this, serious risk. I'll give you some examples. In March of last year, a targeted shooting endangered a family at a restaurant full of people. On June 24th of this year, a man and his family, including a, ch a child in a stroller, if you can believe, were targeted in a brazen shooting, putting numerous community members at risk. Just recently on October 19th, uh, just a few weeks ago, an EPS officer and multiple families in their homes were endangered in a Southeast Edmonton drive-by shooting. Additionally, our data tells us that the EPS has responded to, to 196 shooting occurrences citywide as of yesterday, including yesterday's event, 196. That's a 46% increase in shootings compared to the same time last year. And just to give you a, a, a reference point, last month alone, in October, seven of the 13 reported shootings resulted in injuries to people and 11 had the potential for innocent bystanders, including kids, to be, to be harmed. Uh, most of the, you know, we, 
thankfully I can say that still most of the shootings are believed to be targeted, which brings a small consolation, but it, it does make a difference. Um, these reckless actions show all too clearly that the landscape has changed out there. And, uh, you know, that, and this, this really bugs me. There's no longer any respect for children, families, innocent citizens amongst our rival organized crime groups, our gangsters, when they carry out violence to further their own interests. That's changed in the, in the wrong way. And that's a trend that can't continue. So this morning, I, I, I want to just assure Edmontonians that gun violence is, remains a significant public safety concern for us as, as the police. And with the help of our uh, areas like our guns and gangs section, our Edmonton drug and gang enforcement section, our firearm investigation and examination units, DPS will continue to work our hardest to investigate these events the best we can and actively remove firearms from our streets. So at the same time, though, we'd like to encourage uh, citizens, uh, especially those who, who may have witnessed yesterday's shooting, to uh, continue to reach out to us with information about violence in their communities any time they have something to add, bring, bring it to our attention. And, and as it relates to yesterday's event, uh, you can expect some photos of the suspect vehicle and the suspects themselves to be uh, to, to release uh, to release to the public just to help with uh, identification and tips. So we, as always, we need the public to act as our eyes and our ears and to work together to build a safer city. We can't do it on our own. Okay, so that's that gives you pretty good lay of the land there and this directly relates i think to this other subject matter that i want to cover tonight and that is the housing crisis in both canada and the us but especially here in canada the government response which most recently, this week, we saw the federal government commit $900 million to build new housing in Quebec. The Quebec provincial government stepping up and saying, we're going to spend, we're going to match that. So now you have $1.8 billion that they're going to spend on housing. And people are you know, basically applauding this, saying, yay, the government is addressing the housing problem while well, some there's some controversy surrounding the way the government is doing it but but and this is how it ties in to the shooting in edmonton densification it's a catchphrase that trudeau has been throwing around and it was also a catch that came with the money that he committed to Quebec, densification. The province gets the cash if they committed to densification. Yes, they want development. Yes, they want new houses built. But Quebec had to agree to more densification. 
That means packing more people into a smaller space. More population density. When you get more density, you get more crime. You get more of everything. You get sometimes unintended consequences. This is how these things tie together. Edmonton, one of Canada's larger cities, and you just heard police say that they've had a serious increase in the amount of violent crime in their city. You're seeing rises, you know, rise in various kinds of crimes across the country. Pierre Polyev, Conservative Party of Canada, the new leader, he's been campaigning on that very issue. Why are you seeing that densification? It's not the only reason. There are other socioeconomic factors that come into play. But the government, they want densification. And urban planners have been messing around with densification for quite a long time. They study it. Nobody's really been pushing back on the use of that word or asking questions very much about it, but that is all it really means. They want to pack more people into a smaller space. There's your 15-minute cities. I don't view 15-minute cities the way a lot of people who have been scaring people about 15-minute cities have been portraying them. They've been, in my view, you have people on various sides using the 15-minute city issue for political purposes. What you're seeing play out here with these this new government money is a march toward the establishment of actual 15-minute cities. This is, this is how they do it. They don't even call, have to call them 15-minute cities, but that's what you're going to get. They're going to build geared-to-income social housing. Those are 15-minute cities, social housing districts. Going to touch on more of that, but you know, it's not just Canada, it's the United States as well. This was uh, an issue that Trump was touching on. I haven't heard too much about it in, say, the past, not so much in the past year, but last year they were talking more about it. You know, how the federal government, I can't remember the exact legislation on the US side, but it was a big issue where they, they really were rolling out new policy aimed at destroying urban lifestyle, suburbs, getting rid of suburbs, basically an assault on suburbs, urban sprawl. That's what they're, they don't, they don't like that. They want people more compactly. They want people compressed into smaller areas. Densification. 
That's what they want. But, you know, with densification, you amplify a lot of different problems. Crime is escalating everywhere. So here's Chicago. I mean, Chicago has, you know, pretty high population density. And here's a, a, a fresh story. Uh, this is surveillance video showing a family being carjacked at gunpoint in their driveway. This is uh, this shows the moment that Michelle Pettiford was pushed to the ground, her purse snatched, keys stolen. Her 12-year-old daughter ran into their house screaming. I'm going to run this uh, video, this story. I believe this is the NBC version of the report. This is scary, to say the least. Let's bring it up here. Here we go. nightmare serving as a warning to drivers everywhere. Last Thursday night, Michelle Pettiford and her 12-year-old daughter returned to their home in Chicago when surveillance cameras caught two armed men, one in a mask, sprinting toward them. I think it went through my head like, is this, is this real? Is this really happening? You see them throw Michelle down, grab her purse, point their guns at her. At one point, one appearing to hit her. Her daughter ran into the house screaming. You hear about blood curdling screams. It's just something I'll never forget. Jeff Pettiford ran outside to help his wife. That's when he says one of the men put a gun to his head. Turns out they wanted one thing. I said, is where are the keys? Where are the keys? And she's screaming in my purse, in my purse. They weren't leaving without a car. No. Jeff pointed them to his Audi with the key fob already inside, and the men drove off. Chicago police say the carjackers haven't been caught yet. The scene marking a stunning trend. New FBI data shows while most violent crime fell last year, carjackings were up 8% from the previous year, with nearly 90% of those carjackings involving a weapon. One fatal flashpoint in D.C., where investigators say an off-duty federal security officer last month shot and killed a 13-year-old who tried to carjack him. This just weeks after a Texas congressman was carjacked near the nation's capital. I looked to the left, somebody had a gun. Uh, to the right, somebody had a gun. Back in Chicago, the Pettifords, stunned to learn the problem is so widespread, are afraid to go in their own backyard. You know, home isn't like that place of comfort and safety that it once was, which is really sad. It's going to be a long road to recovery for that family. Uh, an update this morning from Chicago police. They actually tell us just yesterday. So a week after the carjacking, they found the Pettiford's car and they arrested a woman who was inside that car, they say, for misdemeanor trespassing. But remember, there were two men in that video. They say they haven't yet caught those carjackers. You know, in my neighborhood, I've talked about this several times. There was never, I never saw any homeless people in this town until just the last maybe five years. 
And now we do have people living in tents here. And in my neighborhood, sometimes they wander up. There, there's some, there's some places where they do have shelters, not very far from where I live, where I'm sitting right now. And sometimes I, I run into homeless people here in the suburbs on my street. And I live in a very quiet cul-de-sac. Like it's just nobody, nobody around here. But sometimes I, there are homeless people. They'll sit over by the, there's a community mailbox thing where they call them super boxes here in Canada. You go to pick up your mail there. Everybody goes to the one location, which is about a half a block. Just on the corner, you walk over, you just pick up your mail. Sometimes they sit over there. The other four days ago, I was just out walking the dog early in the morning. Something had happened overnight and it was clear somebody homeless, probably one of the homeless people from around the area had been here and they'd left um, like a little backpack and a blanket just sitting over by the, the mailbox center. And uh, I have no idea what happened to the person, but it couldn't have been good because they had, you know, toothbrush, personal belongings in this backpack thing that had just been left there it was pretty clear that probably something bad had happened this is not a big city that i live in and these problems are coming here why they're bussing them in from bigger cities we have a homeless problem the government is addressing the homeless problem in Canada by throwing money at it. The problem, and here I go editorializing, these politicians will solve, they, they may solve the homeless problem, but they will end up creating a myriad of other problems in the process because they keep doing the same stupid things over and over again and expecting a different result. And sometimes they call it other things but it's the same stupid stuff. So this week, Trudeau and the Premier of Quebec got together for our news conference. And uh, announced that the federal government is going to dump $900 million. That's almost a billion bucks. $900 million into... Housing. Let me find the clips here. It's a lot of cash. And the provincial government is going to match that. Billion dollars. Um, here, I've got, I've got this report. You listen to this report and listen to the way the mainstream media talks about it. This is a global news report. All right. This is government control. Now, the, the thing is, the money will be split. I don't even know what, what, how do you solve a housing problem just by throwing money at it? Because the politicians 
think that the way to solve a problem is just to just draw a straight line to it. We have a housing problem. Well, then let's build houses. And then we'll have people live in the houses. But they don't look at the root cause. They And if they do, they seem to just ignore it. They don't look at what might ha- what will happen after they build the houses so they just build houses the public applauds they say yay we have we need houses for people let's just build everybody a house or an apartment or whatever so 900 million and not from one government 900 million from another and trudeau is actually doing an end run around the actual proper processes that are supposed to be followed, the procedures, because housing is also and largely is a provincial jurisdiction. But he's he went straight to Quebec and kind of ignored what is going on in other provinces. Anyway, let's listen to this report. And, uh, you know, a large a large portion of this Funding will be used to build. They're calling it affordable housing. This is social housing, social welfare housing. It will be either free for people, in some cases it will be, or it will be geared to income is what they call it in Canada, geared to income housing. In the report, they'll refer to it as affordable. They always use fancy language to soften up sugarcoat what it is they're doing. Here's the report. It's the largest investment yet from the Liberal Signature Housing Fund. When we put forward $900 million uh, as Quebec's share of the housing accelerator, the province of Quebec said, okay, we're going to step up and double it. The combined $1.8 billion will build more than 23,000 homes across Quebec, 8,000 of which will be affordable units. I'm very happy to be able to have this uh, agreement. To get that money, Francois Legault had to agree to speed up the permitting process and require increased density. But Quebec is the only province to get housing cash from Trudeau. In the rest of Canada, the Liberals have cut deals directly with cities, leaving other premiers peeved. You can't have the federal government going into a a certain town or a certain city and uh, dumping funding and not even discussing it with uh, the province. That's, That's unacceptable. What about other provinces, Justin? (laughs) (laughs) The Prime Minister defending the asymmetrical approach. If people say, oh, uh, we want to be working as closely as the government of Quebec is with uh, the government of Canada, come on, we're happy to do that. Need to be focused on. Regardless of who gets the money, homelessness experts want less jurisdictional squabbling and more building. It doesn't really matter to us, but we need all three levels of government working together. It will be at least two years before any of the Quebec units are built, but in that time, the Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation says 45% of Canadian mortgage holders will renew at a higher rate, costing an additional $15 billion annually. Farah? Sorry, folks, my microphone was muted. So you heard them say in that report that the province of Quebec, in order to get that money, 
had to agree to increased density. With that money, they will build at least 8,000 affordable units. That will be basically, I think, the free stuff. I don't know what, what the other, where the other money goes or exactly who will end up getting it. That's $1.8 billion. Did you pay for your house? Do you pay rent? Why does the government, like what, what's the money used for? Who gets the cash? Does this make houses cheaper? This is central planning for the economy, for that specific industry. <laughs> this is government social welfare housing. They're going to build geared to income housing with all this money. And they're doing it in a way that ensures you get a more densely populated community everywhere that this happens. You know, that's what this is all about. It's about, well, it's a, it's a response to all the immigration. So they created a problem <laughs> with all the immigration, record levels of immigration since Trudeau came into uh, power, almost a million new immigrants a year in the country. And now we're hearing that they may add an additional in the, the coming year, an additional 500,000 Palestinians to the number for at least a year. So what are we going to get to? 1.5 million it was not very many years ago. Canada's population was about 30, 32 million. Now we're, I think, over 40 million in the span of just a few years. It's changing Canada dramatically. And these people coming in, many of them are not able to work. So where are they going? They're going into hotels. And they're eventually going to be relocated into some of these housing units. But it will be two years before they even get these things built. The point that is perhaps escaping everyone or what is, you know, it's right in front of us. Everyone has been really, really worried about 15 minute cities, 15 minute cities. Oh my God, 15 minute cities. And the people spinning up the fear about 15 minute cities have had everyone focused on the technology. I know I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to look in the chat right now. Because they've had everybody afraid of the lampposts in front of their homes. Everybody's afraid of the lampposts. If they put smart lights in, they'll be spying on me every time I walk out the front door. Trust me, the lamppost is the least of your worries. It should be. The lampposts, and I don't want to get too deep into this, I ran information on the lampposts before the lampposts are really not a big deal the lampposts are just traffic cameras they're just they have audio sensors on them to pick up sounds 
gunshots, monitor traffic flow, send data back to uh, to uh, the municipalities so that they can uh, figure out traffic patterns, traffic light synchronization. And if there is a crime committed, like someone firing off a gun, they have gunshot sensors. So police know what part of the city the gunshots came from so they can dispatch units more quickly. That's what those lampposts are for. Trust me on this one, man. The lampposts, they might even be your friend. Ultimately, they might save your life. Um, also, if lamp streetlights are burned out, it sends a signal back to the central central uh, dispatch center so they can send out crews to repair the lights. That's, that's what the smart lights are. They don't need the tra- you, they don't need the traffic lights to track you. They're already doing it with this. You carry it everywhere you go. Your, your phone. The traffic lights. Get everybody jacked up about that. What everybody should be worried about is densification. See, they these neoliberal left wing woke people including the politicians, are convinced that the world is overpopulated. They are convinced that climate change is an existential threat to humanity. They are convinced that the path forward has to be the electrification of the automobile, limited use of automobiles, and densification, and population control. Just fewer people. And I know that when they say that, you know, they think that a lot of people think they want to murder you. (laughs) What they want people to do is use more birth birth control, promote abortion, break up families so that people have fewer kids and all that's working. Densification. And they want people to, they want to do away with urban sprawl. They want to do away with suburbs. They want people to move back into bigger cities in more compacted areas so that they can deal with services like garbage pickup more efficiently so that they have to spend less on roads so that you take up less space on the planet, consume less, emit less carbon. That's what they believe. And you know, That's what this plan is. This is your 15-minute cities. And you're going to see more of them sprouting up and real soon. Over the next two years, three years, four years, 10 years, as we approach 2030. This is the real 15-minute city rollout, and it's happening right now. But has anyone even picked up on this? I haven't heard anybody refer to what we're seeing here in Quebec as the 15-minute city plan being enacted. But that's what it is. It's all about urban planning. The urban planning will connect directly to this. And you heard in that report, in order to get that money from the federal government, the Quebec government had to agree to increased densification, increased population density. The problem with Dense in, in density or densification is that one, 
it's um it's an experiment it is not um uh, it's been studied over and over again extensively but the jury is still out you see if you go and look at uh, here i'll show you you can go online there's there's a lot of studies about densification and i don't know if the government really gives a damn what has been learned from these studies so here's information from mcgill university densification dreams dangers and deliberations Densification is a peculiar term, it says here. It is ostensibly a descriptor of any process whereby something, a substance, a mix, or as we now tend to find, a place or a part of a human settlement becomes denser with the passage of time. It's thus a neutral term in many respects, politely waiting for deployment along with un uncontroversial cousins such as absorption, transformation, transportation, and ignition. Yet it's also normative, a word denoting change from what exists to a state that is perhaps better as in being more efficient in how scarce resources, including space, get used. And it wants a word that can direct our attention to where things are worsening, such as how scar tissue sometimes unpleasantly thickens or hardens over time, blah, 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 blah. That's a bunch of um, academic baffle gab. But that's McGill, and that's part of a report there from that university. And then um, this is from BOMA International, Building Owners and Managers Association International. This has been, this is studied all over the world. Canada is embracing this, the United States as well. These woke politicians and bureaucrats. I think they're manipulated psychologically, too, to be quite frank. They're convinced. They're afraid. It's not like they're evil people. They think they're doing good by packing more people into a smaller space to save the planet and thereby ultimately save humanity. But the studies show that the jury on desification Densification is still out. Densification, how dense is too dense? This is from BOMA International, Building Owners and Managers Association International. Densification has become a watchword in the commercial real estate industry. Increases in the number of people, it says here, occupying unchanging tenant spaces have real and important implications for how property professionals operate their buildings and deliver high-quality work environments. Boma International has partnered with Jacobs to publish a report defining the tipping point beyond which increased density affects tenant satisfaction, well-being, and engagement. And it goes on here. And there's a whole report on this from that organization. Um, I've looked up, I looked up a bunch of these. I was reading them overnight. And the bottom line really comes down to, well, here's buildings and cities, community website. It's uh, an online publication. And this one has a whole bunch of report studies and data that people can refer to on this issue. 
there's a lot of information packed into this. I spent quite a bit of time reading this over last night. How can urban densification be defined, monitored, and controlled to create positive outcomes and avoid unintended consequences, negative impacts? Those words my, are my words. Their words are my words. My words are their words echoing back and forth. I say that all the time. When it comes to socialists and people who believe in centrally planned economies, heavy-duty government control, whenever they implement these government programs, there are always unintended consequences and usually negative impacts. Such is the case with densification. So this is a special issue of this Buildings and Cities publication, which is also online here. And it investigates specific challenges, impacts, and fragilities that urban densification creates in many cities and the different scales where these can be found. It questions the hegemonic discourse in favor of urban densification and proposes a more nuanced and holistic view of its costs and benefits, blah, 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 blah. So you can go down here. This special issues contributions also investigate, analyze, and provide evidence on urban densification in a multidimensional perspective, considering economic, social, and environmental factors that impact at different scales. Resistance to densification can be related to socioeconomic issues, defending the rights of existing communities to maintain a low density in order to preserve affordable housing or local workplaces, etc. Supply and demand. You pack a lot of people into a small space, real estate values go through the roof. Because if people are forced to live in a smaller area, you see, it's supply and demand. If, you've, you've, if you have people forced to live in a smaller area, you know who's really going to get rich? Real estate developers. I did some work years ago for a municipality, video work. I, I can't give you too many more details for legal reasons, but I found it distasteful because it was all about attracting people to come to live in this community that I was doing the work for. And the people behind the project have been given government money behind the project that they hired me to do for them. And I didn't complete the work, actually. I found it so distasteful. But they, it was all designed to attract more people to come and live in the community. And the people behind the whole thing, real estate people. Real estate people. Why? Because if you bring in a lot of immigrants and then channel them to a, to particular communities, whatever communities get those immigrants, you need houses. They don't care if you're a real estate developer or you're in the housing business in any regard, in any, any aspect of it, you're going to, you're going to make money and lots of it. If they suddenly have to build a lot of houses in a community, then all the people who are involved in building houses, whether it's paint companies for house paint, all the hardware stores, lumber companies, the developers themselves, construction firms, carpenters, electricians, the list goes on. Yeah, you get a building boom for a while, 
and it doesn't matter to them whether it's you know private or public money going into it they get hired to do the work carpeting window blinds you name it whatever it might be more people moving in and you know that can stimulate the economy and that could be a good thing but if you're getting a lot of densification it also changes the fabric of the community years ago you know in the community where i live right now i sat in the old mayor's office he's passed away his name was bill erickson it was a small you know small city here and he said everybody in this town not everybody but a lot of people especially from the business community they want to turn this into a little toronto and make it more like toronto but he said you know Really, people should appreciate it for what it is now. And I listened to him and, you know, he had a very valid point. The city was already, you know, it was not densely populated. Everything was already within a 10 or 15 minute drive. Everything you need. No traffic jams. Even in the middle of the day, you can still get to wherever, you know, during rush hour, rush hour lasts about. I don't know, 15 minutes <laughs> and it's over and uh, maybe half an hour. It was, it was busy today down at the, the post office when I was out, but you know, I appreciate that kind of lifestyle. I, I don't want to live in a heavily populated, densely populated city. I want to, I, I don't like it. So there's a lot a lot going for a community like this but uh, but people who want to make money in certain industries they benefit if you bring in a lot of people and you have a lot of growth that way i'm just saying that when you do that you get unintended consequences you get more densification you get social problems you bring in social housing where the, it's government geared to income housing, you get a lot of unemployed people. You get a lot of people who are incentivized to not work because they penalize you through the government system. If you, if you go get a job, now you have to pay, start paying rent or you have to pay more rent because it's geared to income. So the more income you make, the more rent you have to pay. So you don't actually end up any further ahead. So people don't work. And they have a lot of idle time on their hands. And, you know, they generally don't have a lot. And you have a lot of social problems that come with that kind of approach to solving a problem. The housing problem. We'll just build them a house. But you don't solve the problems that were present when they you don't solve the problem that created the homelessness to begin with. You've just given them a house, but maybe they have mental health issues. Maybe they have drug abuse issues. Maybe they don't have the skills necessary to get a job where they can not only maybe pay rent, but build up a down payment to purchase a home and have the pride of home ownership eventually. So they get trapped in a 15 minute city a welfare city, social housing project, a ghetto sometimes, or a slum, paid for with tax dollars. The politicians 
How long does a politician stay in office? What's the lifespan of a a successful politician in Canada? Or even in the U.S., not a president per se, but a president can have a long political career leading up to being president and then eight years as president and you're out. But let's say a decade. By the time these guys, you know, (laughs) they get in, they say, oh, look at me, I'm solving the homeless problem. They throw a bunch of money and build a bunch of, you know, shoebox size apartment units, build up instead of out, pack people into a small area. Real estate developers see real estate values go way up because now you've got population density and competition and for housing people are competing but they get government top-ups all the way through the politicians they say see you solved the problem everybody's got a home well not everybody because they never solve the homeless problem but they say look what we did we built that over there and then it takes 10 years and then they're gone They've sailed off into the sunset. And then the community is left with these very densely populated communities, neighborhoods, all of which are designed to keep people packed in where you can't really afford to have a car because there's so much density there that a parking space would cost you, what, $1,000 a month, 1500 bucks. So you can't have a car. You can't afford it. And if you do have one, they're going to penalize you with taxation. If you drive down the road two blocks, you're going to go through a toll booth because they're saying, you know, see, it's so expensive here. You can't be driving a car around because, you know, look, just you can't do that here. This is the 15-minute city. This is government controlled. This is social housing. That's what the 15-minute cities are. It's not about the technology so much. It's not about tracking you. It's about trapping you with social welfare and the promise of the fake, fake promise again of affordable housing. Everybody has a right to a home. Everything these days is flipped upside down, man. And you'll find even in this report that I'm referring to right here, on uh, buildings and cities. And you can find this at buildingsandcities.org. You can go look it up for yourself. And there's a whole bunch of other ones on this table of contents, all these other reports associated with it. And you'll see right in here that, uh, you know, it says states very clearly that even though a lot of this has been studied for a long time, it, it says right in here that most of the experiments with population densification have failed. What's this say here? Policy relevance, coherence of city form and consistency throughout the city center and important objectives are great differences in density. Disturb this unity, blah, 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 blah. Um, There's so much information in here. But it says clearly in here that Every experiment so far that they've looked at has, generally speaking, depending on your metrics, but it's clear that so far, you know, 
population densification experiments have failed repeatedly. And yet here we go in Canada with the government pushing forward with this concept, this ideology. And why? Because they, uh, they believe, they truly seem to believe that humanity is facing this existential threat from global warming or climate change or whatever. You know, it's, it's, it's everything's been flipped upside down. When people came to North America, they wanted to, they came here to escape the problems in the countries that they came from. It was the new frontier, the new world. They got off the boat that was like nothing here. Trees, First Nations peoples, if it hadn't been for the First Nations, they would have died, honestly. But it's amazing what people were able to do in the face of adversity, the challenges, you know? It really, truly is. I'm going to run uh, here. You know, here's this, uh, the automobile, the industrial revolution. That's what, you know, they, they, they built cities. They built cities up in like a, a crazy fast amount of time. Here's a, an old documentary. This is from... Is this the one I want to show you? Yeah, I think so. Yes, this is exactly it. This is uh, from the, this is a Route 66, 1940 classic documentary. It's a government uh, thing produced back in 1940. And it, 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 it take you back in time, show you what, what people were up against at that time. And the change in the mindset. This was about conquering the, uh, you know, the challenges that were in front of people, the pioneers, from the horse and buggy to the automobile to connecting people and a nation, a continent with roads, vast open spaces, huge distances. That's always been the challenge in Canada and the United States, vast country, huge country. The automobile tied us all together. The roads, the highways, the highway system tied everything together. Look at the way that uh, this, this documentary at, at that time talks about how the country was built and the optimism in it, the, you know, the can do attitude that seems to be missing today. I think, and uh, in our countries, just listen, just listen to this. In the middle of the United States in the state of Oklahoma is one of the key cities of America. Tulsa built in a generation, a generation. and still growing. In 1901, the West was cattle country, and Tulsa was a cow town of 1,200 persons. Its single main street bustled with new settlers. Today, only on the screen, 
can people of Tulsa see scenes like these? The romance, the adventure, and the hardships of the Old West departed from Tulsa many years ago. But now, in Western movies, these boys and girls can relive the history of Tulsa's past. An early citizen like Sam Carson has seen it all change within his lifetime. His grandchildren, Eddie and Janet, were born here. They are too young to remember Tulsa as it was, or to realize the struggle and planning that have gone into making the modern Tulsa a good place for them to grow up in. But Sam Carson remembers he was part of the struggle and the planning, planning that changed board sidewalks and dirt roads to paved streets and broad highways, and hitching posts to parking meters. Planning that pulled down the wooden front shanties to build steel and concrete skyscrapers. In a yes, generation, there have been many changes, one generation, but Tulsa to the Carson built the city, still means built the country, a place where you may meet someone you know on any corner. And the policeman, the is modern a friend, version, as well as public servant. The Tulsa story started in 1905, when deep underneath the land surrounding the little town was discovered a new and apparently inexhaustible source of wealth. Oil. Oil that meant light and heat, and now transportation for a growing country. Farmers became oil men. Cattlemen became oil men. Here, too, just up the road, Petrolia, Ontario. On farms oil. and ranches, oil derricks rose. Oil refineries derricks. in Sarnia, Ontario today. 1,000 derricks. And so Little Tulsa became a boom town. Built upon a pool of oil. Alberta. Oil. However, 20 years later, the underground pool ran dry, and the oil disappeared from Tulsa. But in the city of Tulsa, they still had ideas. For miles to the north and east, fine cattle grazed on grassy plains, and in Tulsa, a meatpacking industry grew up. Innovation. On the fertile lands to the south were harvested great fields of corn to be shipped to Tulsa for cattle feed. Wheat to fill the tall grain elevators. Mechanization, feed the masses, use technology. Be ginned and processed in Tulsa's mills. When oil was struck in nearby regions, it was Tulsa that supplied the equipment, know-how, and men to bring out the rich crude from the ground. Each boom poured into Tulsa its products for refining. Its people had looked beyond the disappointments of the past and planned for the future. For Tulsa is still people. 200,000 of them, oil workers in tin hats or businessmen in straws. And the families who live and raise their children in Tulsa's spacious suburbs. Farmers and ranchers in town to buy or sell or talk. All of them bringing to life the arteries of downtown Tulsa. 
Towson's are proud of their business section with its attractive shops, its several and fiercely independent newspapers, all of the institutions offering the goods and services that make life easier and more pleasant, and the great church offering the ideals and hopes and aspirations that make life spiritually richer. Spiritually richer. Religion. Moral compass. Moral compass. Just so much, you know, just optimism, can-do spirit. This is, uh, it's like Americana. It's Americana. It's, um, you know, you go back to the 50s. Here's, uh, here's some footage of Route 66, the iconic Route 66. I've traveled part of Route 66 myself. Here's some uh, some old, I think this is super eight millimeter or eight millimeter film footage. Different attitude. It was, let's build the country. Let's, you know, reach for prosperity. Make things happen. And it was about individualism. It was about, I don't know. You didn't see Henry Ford. relying on <laughs> the government didn't uh, the go it's not the government that came up with the uh, the modern version of the assembly line it was Henry Ford he's the guy who took it to its most productive level turned it into something that became standard in factories around the world And in fact, it was, well, it wasn't just Henry Ford. It was other industrialists as well who did that. It was America at the time. Oh, you can argue about the nuances of it. But it was just a different attitude, you know? It was about, like, let's get this country tied together. Let's build it. Let's build. Let's give people some space. When I was a kid growing up, we never locked our doors. We just didn't. And never, ever had a problem. But in the town where I grew up, things have sure changed. I was so lucky. I was able to walk and it's still there actually, a forested area within a five minute walk from my house. And there were ponds there where I could go fishing. And this was in the middle of the city. It's still there. 
because they preserved that area and let the city grow around it. The forested area and the ponds, they didn't destroy them. They grew the city around it, let the city spread out. That's the opposite of densification. And we never locked our doors. When I go up to Toronto and I walk around downtown, you know what I see? I see a lot of people packed into a small space. I see a 15-minute city in the heart of Toronto. I see 15-minute districts. They're already there. And they're designed so that people don't need to own a vehicle. They live in apartments. And I see a lot of good people. I see a lot of good things there, but I also see a lot of problems. I see homeless people. I see alcoholism, drug abuse. I see mentally ill people. I see that because there's so much population density that it's largely, in my view, not the healthiest place to live. It's a lifestyle that someone might choose. But that's really what it's about for me. It's about choice. Some people like to live like that. Other people don't want to live like that. It depends on what you prefer. When the government starts controlling entire sectors of the economy and they have the levers of power under such control that they can dictate the socioeconomic conditions under which you are forced to live. That's the problem. It's not the lamppost in front of your house that's the problem. It's the government policies dictating economic and socioeconomic conditions that force you to live in a particular manner. So that if you want to have a dog as a companion, maybe you'd like to have a Great Dane. But if you're forced to live in a densely populated area in the heart of a major city, in a shoebox, you ain't going to have no Great Dane. And you sure ain't going to have no car. Because you won't be able to afford the parking space. And it wouldn't be fair to the dog to live in a shoebox with you because the dog needs space to run. That's the unintended consequence that the politicians and bureaucrats tend not to think about. What about the person who wants the Great Dane? They don't care. No Great Dane for you, maybe if you're lucky, a chihuahua. And when the dog needs to go outside, you're going to have to go down that elevator, go outside, and take it for a walk on a postage stamp covered in grass that they call a park. Because the land will be so expensive. And you see it already in these big cities. You know, they have little tiny. <laughs> you might as well have like a, a golf green and call it a park. That's densification. That's a 15 minute city. Yeah, you can get to your McDonald's in 60 seconds and you can get to the grocery store in two minutes walking. But that's not like it used to be, not at all. You know, in the 1950s, 
Everybody wanted to get themselves a Chevy and tour America. In your Chevrolet, America's asking you to call. Drive your Chevrolet through the USA. America's the greatest land of all. On a highway or a road along a levee. Performance is sweeter, nothing can beat her. Life is completer in a Chevy. So make a date today to see the USA. See it in your Chevrolet. Travel and East. Traveling west, wherever you go, Chevy service is best. Southward or north, near Plains or far, there's a Chevrolet dealer for your Chevrolet car. See the USA in your Chevrolet. The Rockies way out west are calling you. Drive your Chevrolet through the USA, where fields of golden wheat pass and review. Whether traveling light or with a load that's heavy. Performance is sweeter, nothing can beat her. Life is completer in a Chevy. So make a taste today to see the USA and see it in your Chevrolet. Or your Ford, or your Chrysler, or your AMC. or whatever just get out there and do it and people loved their country back then they had pride that was patriotism those were the days nah, the, and the 80s that was the American dream what happened? The left. Wokeism. Neoliberalism. Fear. Doubt. <laughs> Corruption. Abuse of the system by politicians and bureaucrats who, I would say, Corrupted by even outside forces. Gonna say something. Food for thought. A lot of people upset with our government. Our system. They say, your vote doesn't count. Blah, blah, blah. No sense, no hope. And who do they blame? Oh, it's the government. It's them. It's the... Secret cabal, it's the and they want to lash out and tear down our system. They've lost faith in our institutions, lost faith in our country, while at the same time decrying the neoliberal woke politically correct crowd tearing down our statues, rewriting our history, rewriting, keep that in mind, in very Orwellian fashion, rewriting our history. And these politicians who seem to act against our best interests, against the best interests of our country, ask yourself why. That's why. Moolah. Corruption. 
But does that mean that our system is bad? Does that mean the governmental system is bad? Or does that mean that we have some bad apples, some bad leaders, some corrupt leaders? I would say corrupt leaders. But who's corrupting them? That's the question that nobody ever seems to ask. Who's corrupting them? Outside forces. Other governments. So where's the real problem? Is the problem within our system? It is because we don't have enough transparency and there are things we have to fix here for sure. But really, what's the root cause of the problem? Environmental groups. <laughs> Anti-oil. Who finances those groups who stand against our oil industry? Is that truly a domestic thing? Do those people really care about climate change? I put it to you tonight, folks. That the people backing those organizations come from outside our countries. The actors may be domestic. But the money, the influence, the control comes from outside entities, foreign governments, foreign corporations. And you can't figure out where the real problem is because it feels like you're fighting a shadow because you are. You think that turfing Trudeau will solve the problem. Mm -mm. You know why? Because you can get rid of all 338 of our members of parliament. You can get rid of every U.S. politician. But unless you understand that the negative influence is coming from outside the country. You ain't never going to solve nothing. The true enemy is not within. The true enemy is outside. Whether it's foreign entities or governments manipulating people here or paying them off to act against your best interests to act against and disrupt the industries that fuel the economy and growth in this country and to change minds, attitudes in this country. You have a corrupt politician, you got to get rid of that corrupt politician, no question about that, but you still ain't going to solve the problem until you understand that the root of the problem isn't in our countries. Outside. Outside influence. You think those environmental groups are really protesting because they care about climate change? They're out there protesting to stop the drilling. No more oil. If you're going to have the oil, you're going to have to buy it from overseas. And we have to have the oil. Oh, you want electric cars? Yeah, because why? Because the government, these people, you think that you're the only ones being manipulated psychologically? <laughs> you think that our politicians are immune? You think they're just in on it? I, I submit to you tonight that our politicians are just as screwed up in the head as anybody that we're speaking, that I'm speaking with you right now. They're being manipulated. They're being scared. They just think the opposite way. 
they believe in all this woke neoliberal climate extremism because they, they're being fed a steady diet of it. And they truly believe that they're acting in the best interests of humanity as a whole because they're scared to a point of insanity. And we've lost sight of the American dream and we've lost sight of the Canadian dream because our politicians have been psychologically screwed up. So that they're no longer proud of our country either. And they don't want it to grow and they don't want prosperity for you. They want degrowth. They want less for you. You must do with less. Because why? They're convinced that the world is overpopulated. They're convinced that carbon-based life forms are a problem. They look at it from a macro perspective. It's not that they hate people. It's that they're trying to save people but they're misguided because they're screwed up in the head too. The irony in all of this is that both sides in this end up saying the same things and meaning something completely different, calling for the same things, but wanting a different outcome. I asked everybody on this show a few weeks ago, what would, how, what would your ideal, your utopian city of the future look like and people started to call in and they were giving different ideas providing different ideas on what they would like a city of the future to look like you know what the irony is in it and i don't think anybody was even really picking up on it everybody calling in was starting to design a 15-minute city well, the house, all the houses should be made from recycled materials and everything has to be energy efficient. And you think about it, and a lot of these things are noble causes, noble objectives. But everybody was designing a 15-minute city because we're being fed a steady diet of this information. And it was all this, this other stuff that, like... Oh, but we can't have the lampposts spying on us. <laughs> but you're designing a 15-minute city in every other right respect. It's insanity. Because everybody's complaining that the politicians are going to cram everybody into 15-minute cities. Then I ask everybody here, what would you do that would be different? And when people were calling in, they weren't doing anything different. And in fact, everything they were suggesting, really, when it comes right down to it, is the stuff that they're really demanding of the politicians. So they were really ultimately demanding of the politicians that they do exactly the things that they say they don't want done at the end, which is to design a 15-minute city. It makes no sense. And I picked up on this when I was a reporter, a cub reporter, 30 years ago. I realized that the media was a big part of the problem because the media makes people neurotic. Why? How? Because on the one hand, they'll, we, 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 we would run a report, and they still do this today in mainstream media, and they do it in independent media too. Drink 10 glasses of water a day to stay hydrated. You need to drink a lot of water. Oh, but don't drink the water because it's contaminated with too much chlorine and fluoride and other chemicals, and it will give you cancer and you will die. 
So drink a lot of water, but be careful because it will kill you. Drink a lot of water. It's very healthy for you, but it will, you will die if you drink it. Get outside, get some fresh air, but don't breathe in too deeply because the chemtrails will kill you. Because, you know, they're sprinkling whatever it is and nobody really knows because blah, 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 blah. They're screwing with your heads. They're screwing with you. It's sick. It's sick. The enemy is... <laughs> the thing is, everybody's like trying to solve the problem by shadow boxing because we're fighting with ourselves, like literally with ourselves. We are the problem in our own minds. And the politicians by extension are us because we already have a government that is of the people. We just don't, we've just lost sight of it. I'll tell you this, the people who are feeding you all of this neur neuro neurotic who are making you neurotic, they don't believe in democracy. And they don't believe in the American dream. And they don't believe in the Canadian dream. I do. Still. We've got the space. Oh, yes, we do. And we have the resources. Yes, we do. We've got it. And we can still solve these problems. Yes, we can. With innovation, technology, and a can-do attitude, we just got to get back to a better mindset. The answer isn't to cram people into teeny tiny spaces and shoebox-sized apartments in order to reduce their carbon footprint. No, sir. Mm -mm. The answer is a change in attitude. The answer is to recognize that the enemy is not us. The answer is a can-do spirit. The answer is to build and grow and give the pros and provide prosperity for everyone. That was Vancouver, by the way, in the 1950s. We need to get back to that. Reach for the stars. There's still a lot of that going on. You know, there are two schools of thought out there, and it all relates to densification. Densification. One school of thought is that the world is overpopulated. Here's, I'm going to run this video. This is from the American Museum of Natural History. Museum about human population. This, the people who produce this, this supports the, I guess, worldview that suggests we are on the, on the, on a road to overpopulation. I've been hearing arguments like that since I was a kid. None of what they have predicted has ever come true. Right now, we're all supposed to be starving to death. 
because of overpopulation and an inability to feed the masses. Every step of the way, every time, every prediction has fallen into fallacy because of innovation and a can-do attitude, human, human beings and, uh, and our ability to adapt and develop new technologies. Technologies. Technology is the path forward. Technology is the way forward. Technology does give us the answers to our problems because technologies we develop. Technology provides solutions. It always has, and it still can. We should not be afraid of it. We need to embrace it, use it, and make sure the people who get a hold of it don't abuse it in ways that harm humanity. Use it for good, not for evil. Don't make weapons with it. Use it to raise the standard of living for all of humanity. Let's look at this video. This is their point of view on population. Modern humans, 300,000, what, 100,000 years ago, we began migrating across the globe, it says here. They say 300,000 years ago, modern humans evolved in Africa. Population remained low, probably less than 1 million. It's a long time ago, way before I was born. And then with the advent of farming, growth picked up. Yeah, because why? We were able to feed people. And there's a graph that you can't see because of the uh, closed captioning there. You could get a better look at it. Suddenly, population increases because why? Technology used for farming. 1 AD 81. 170 million people. That's not even like, that's two thirds the population of the United States alone today. So 175 million. Silk Road, there of the Silk Road, some trade, the Roman Empire. And 181 million. You know, keep in mind too that back in those in this time, there's no penicillin, there's no antibiotics. People didn't live as long. People take what we have today for granted. And I think uh, the people who think that we're overpopulated lose sight of the fact too that we are innovative as human beings and incredibly innovative. So here we are at like uh, 650 AD, 186 million. Smallpox hits Japan. This is around uh, 750 AD. Population continues to grow 200, 218, 220, 230 million. 900 AD, 1,000. Now we're up to about, yeah, 300 million, almost. 
look over there in Canada and the United States at this time. Like, no yellow dots. One, two, I can, like, two yellow dots. Three on the entire continent. All the growth. Africa, Asia, Europe. Thirteen hundred AD, three hundred and eighty million. Bubonic plague hits, and there was a decline in the world population because of the no medical technology like we had today. And I'm not saying that the thingy in the arm was the answer. I'm just saying you didn't just go to the hospital at that time. They might let your blood out or something primitive at the time. It was a way to treat you. I don't know what they did during that time to treat people, but obviously not very effective because a lot of people died. Now we're up to about 1750 AD, 700 800 million, getting close to a billion. Industrial Revolution hits around 1800. Suddenly, population really starts to hit. Now you've got people have crossed the ocean, and now you're seeing population growing in North America as well. The United States in particular, and in what is to become Canada later. And here we are. This is the year 2023, 6.8 billion, 7.3, 8 billion today. As of 2023, 8 billion people and a lot of yellow dots. But still, human beings can and do prosper. So they're saying that population is leveling off. At current rates, global population will peak this century. At 10.3 billion, growth is slowing because average fertility rates are falling in nearly every country. In the year 2100, two babies to a woman 1955 babies per woman. Yeah, much smaller families, a lot of people not having kids. That's because of birth control, abortion, some people just making choices to not have kids. I'm not in favor of abortion. Not really. I've got issues with it. But Birth control is a real thing, and it's having a serious impact uh, socioeconomically. So by the year 2100, the, on average, a woman will have two kids. That means if that's, if that's what you get, then you get leveled off population. It actually probably a reduction because not every child survives. You know, some of them die, like people die at different ages. If fertility forecasts are slightly off, our population will peak lower or higher. And I always take projections like this with a grain of salt because you can't predict the future. And all these projections of overpopulation and <clears throat> massive human suffering have never actually come true. It 
took most of human history for our population to reach 1 billion and just over 200 years to reach 8 billion. As our population has grown, so has our use of Earth's resources, it says. Yes. Choices we make today are family planning, reduced consumption, pollution controls, habitat protection, It affects the future of our species and all life on Earth. That's true. That's true. The difference, in my view, is I believe in people. I believe that we come up with solutions to problems. When I was a kid, I went to the Ontario Science Center. I watched a video very much like that in one of the displays they had there. It was called Population Explosion. That's what it was titled on the big thing. You walked in, you watched, they had like a big globe thing and the kids would all sit around. We watched this thing and I was fascinated by it. And they were predicting that by today, we would have mass starvation worldwide. It's not true. We came up with new technologies, innovation. So we were, we've been able to feed the masses. That's why I also kind of, you know, I scratch my head when people say, you know, I get that, you know, you want food security and maybe you want a garden in your backyard and nothing wrong with any doing any of that. But the solution to the world's problems is not to reject all technology and get back to like straight organic farming and all of that stuff. No. It's figuring out what works, what doesn't. Getting rid of chemicals that cause problems. But coming up with innovative solutions through technology, whether it's more mechanization, more efficient harvesting techniques, better use of land, more effective use of fertilizers, not just necessarily less continuing to innovate in order to increase yields so that we can produce enough to feed people in the most efficient manner possible. And we have oceans of oil right under our feet still today. In my view, it's still a more environmentally sound solution to our energy needs than strip mining lithium and cobalt. And then trying to figure out later the most effective or most friendly ways to dispose of and or recycle electric car batteries, which are toxic. And have you noticed all the car battery plants or storage facilities in the last number of years, weeks that have been catching fire? When those things catch fire, they spew a lot of toxins into the air, man. It's pretty gross and extremely difficult to put out. And imagine all the chemicals that leach into the earth when the firefighters show up and dump water on that crap or spray foam, firefighting foam all over the stuff. 
every one of those kinds of things is an environmental disaster on a on a, on its own little scale these politicians these bureaucrats they want to do good i believe they do want to do good i don't think that they're just evil people they're our neighbors they are our elected representatives we send them to the House of Commons or, you know, people elect these people to office in the United States, too. And uh, where do they come from? <clears throat> They're not the elite. In some cases, they can be very well off. But they're just farmers and lawyers and store clerks or whatever walk of life maybe they came from, real estate people. Some of them pretty smart people. Some of them not very. They're just average people. They're not the elite. The elites are, I don't even, like, I, don't even I get to the point where I don't even like that phrase because people are using that in pretty dangerous ways right now. Elite. What do they mean by elite? It doesn't mean, it's, yeah, it's someone in charge. Is it someone with a lot of money? Is it a Jew? That's what, that's what a lot of these people mean. That's what they've been meaning, especially over the past three years. That's what they've been leading us to. The elites, the Jews. Oh, they control everything. The banks, the media, the pharmaceutical industry. They're to blame for all of it. Go get them. No, I'm not buying into that trope. That's an old story. Recycled in new language. Mm -hmm. Population density, that's the issue at hand. One of a number. That's what we need to be focused on, and nobody's talking about it. Isn't that strange? Who benefits from all of this stuff? And isn't it strange? Uh, both sides seem to use the same language and mean different things. Or maybe they mean the same thing. They're just getting us all there in a different way. Well, densification is maybe something that is being embraced by the neoliberal woke left. But, you know, Elon Musk, he takes a completely different view on densification, as do I. In fact, well, I don't know if he, I don't know what his position is on cities and urban planning specifically, but he doesn't subscribe to this notion that the world is overpopulated and that overpopulation is ultimately going to be the problem. On the contrary, he says population collapse is the greatest threat to man. No, we have an underpopulation problem. Really? Yeah. Why? Why do you? So say this that? is the most commonly misunderstood situation. Yeah, they definitely push that we have a overpopulation. Yeah, why is that? No, no, we, I don't know. It's just like I think it's like this is a holdover from like I don't know the seventies or something. You know, so there was a huge um, baby boom, like where people did have a ton of kids after World War II, but then the U.S. has actually been had the birth rate in the U.S. has been below replacement rate since like seventy one or seventy two. In the US, I know US, but how about other countries? Um, well, like China's got a huge China. population collapse problem. Yep, really? Yeah, China, China, you actually get penalized if you have more than oh. one kid. No, you are you being serious? No, 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 they they cut that off. No, the see, this is like so. Part of it is just like 
we're, we're operating on things that were true in the past, but are no longer true. So China did have a one-child policy, but um, like about 10 years ago, they changed it to a two-child policy. And then a few years ago, they changed it to a three-child policy. Mm. And birth rate kept plummeting the whole time. Well, so they had the lowest birth rate ever last year. Well, really? Yeah, China's birth rate right now is 40% below replacement. Wow, traditional women. I don't want to, like, you know. <laughs> I, I, you know, one can speculate as to the reasons, but I and can there, tell there's you there's no hoes. I mean, like, <laughs> Andrew Tate was last week, bro. I know, but it's true, bro. Like, what you said about birth. I, They're out there. <laughs> see that. Wow, that is a very common misconception. I would have it's never. It's a very common yeah. right. misconception. Like, yeah. What we face uh, is population collapse. Huh. Collapse. Like, people have no idea how fast population is going to collapse. Um, what are we trying Japan is pretty far along in that. Like Japan actually uh, lost like six hundred thousand, went down by six hundred thousand people last year. The Japanese are not in the bedroom at all. Then <laughs> it would not seem, at all. It would seem not. What about um, what about the U.S.? We got to increase, right? Yeah, what I'm saying is the, the U.S. has been below replacement rates for fifty years. The That's only reason so the nuts. population has increased like is yearly or since saying. the '70s. Yeah, since the early 70s, since like 71, 72. Um, so why are we spewed with all this BS that, yo, we're overpopulating, but the population's growing, right? No, it's not. Um, so, I mean, the, the, I should say the, the, the like lifespan is increasing. Mm-hmm. Um, people are living longer. That's the only reason why the population of Earth isn't plummeting, but it will plummet. So, um, you know, just like one thing to metric to track is the ratio of adult diapers to baby diapers. Mm-hmm. Like at what point does a country have more adult diapers and baby diapers? And like Japan went past that point over 10 years ago. I believe. Whoa. What do you think happens in like the future then? What's your kind of thought on that? Well, I think people really, we've got to turn this around. We've got to have at least replacement rate, if not more on the baby front. Um, and by the way, these this is these are not matters that are uh, subjective. You can just literally look at the birth yeah, rate. Yeah. You know, it's like it's an objective number. Like mm-hmm. how many kids babies were born. It's like a they record this information. You know, so um, and um, so you're saying people need to be having more kids. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you know a lot of people who have like no kids. Like how many kids do you guys have? I don't. I got no kids. I mean, that no, we know none of. None of you guys have. Uh, what the fuck? <laughs> I'm 28, but I mean, I'm but 20. I, I, I guess okay, I 20 could, is reasonable. Yeah, yeah that's fair. I've no, been I'm, thinking of I'm it. I'm trying to get a baby mama soon, but yeah. yeah. And I just got married last month. She's over there. Okay. Hey, congrats. Yeah, <laughs> um, I feel like that's kind of changing, though. I think, like, with generations, our generation is have like less marriages, less kids. Well, child support, man. A lot of guys are scared right now. <laughs> it's true. Well, that's it's not true. The thing, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's true, man. <laughs> I would be scared, too. I mean, Jeez. That is that probably is a big thing. No, that's probably big part of it. Yeah, that, I well, like, like cost, part of it, cost, cost of, it too. Cost a, of a child. Yeah, give me a break. I'm not, social media too. Yeah. People get caught up on social media instead of going out and you know having fun. And how detrimental is that? Like, what's what's that? If if we if it keeps trending this way, well, we've been how like long do we have eventually. before it's like, yeah, I guess distinct. Well, it, it, it's it's a, it's a like a low birth rate is is a slow death. For a civilization, it's not a fast day. Yeah, we're chilling for a bit. Yeah, yeah I mean, so you're cruising. It's just like the the average age just starts drifting up, and then you know, basically, civilization will die with a whimper in adult diapers. <sighs> kind of sucks as an it's like anticlimactic, yeah. and it's not exactly. I mean, frankly, if you say given the choice, like I'd rather civilization died with went out with a bang 
and a whimper in adult diapers. You know? Yeah. What's a bang? Uh, bang would be World War Three. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you know, if, nice. if the choices are, you know, like it's just like sad, or the, it's just sad if you just if you just die, and you know, if civilization dies of old age. I think. Um, so that's like the the most. That's probably the biggest myth that exists right now is this overpopulation myth when in fact we have a population collapse problem. Um, and I think people can see this anecdotally when they talk to friends and just like we just had like none of you guys have kids yet. It's totally understandable 20, but I mean. 28. Yeah, 28. Maybe, you know, um, how, how old are you? 42. 42. You should He's not had, contributing. Uh, see, like by 42, you should have no. a kid. You know? See, the, this is all true. The government knows it. Justin Trudeau knows. <coughs> They're aware. The United Nations is aware. I've seen UN videos talking about exactly that. The solution from the UN has been immigration. And specifically, I've seen videos that make reference to Muslim immigration to North America. And we've seen a lot of that. They know that there is a population collapse problem in Canada and the United States. The politicians, especially in Canada, have embraced an immigration policy as a way of addressing that. If the population is declining, just import more people. But they're so screwed up in the head because they are psychologically manipulated as well that they still think we're overpopulated, even though they know there's a population decline problem, collapse problem in our countries. So rather than encourage people to have more kids, they're embracing heavy immigration as a solution. And you need the population to grow, to continue to grow the economy in order to have people to tax or people to just to have people, although a large number of them will make up the dependent portion of the population. And so they want to bring people in, but they want to cram them all into shoeboxes in heavily populated, densely populated 15-minute cities. But it's the population density that is the issue. Look at cities like New York. Look at cities like Los Angeles, where you have heavy population density. Look at other cities around the world where they have heavy population density. And then look at particular areas like Chicago. You have a lot of gun violence. You have, you have gang warfare. You have all kinds of social problems that you just don't have in more sparsely populated areas. Look at New York City. New York City alone has half the population of Canada crammed into one location. The kinds of problems with crime and the socioeconomic problems that they have in New York City are entirely different on a different scale than the problems that we have in Canada because Canada is spread out. Most of the population of Canada, of course, is tucked in right along the Canada-U.S. border where it's warmer. So people don't tend to want to live up in the higher area, the more northern areas where it's colder. 
more harsh winters. But the population is still spread out. The country is still vast. It takes a long time to get from one city to another. All the cities around here are, you know, about an hour away from each other. And then if you want to go from here to Vancouver, well, you better set aside quite a while if you're going to drive and, you know, you're going to be on a long flight if you fly. It's a vast country. That's why we needed the highways and the railways to tie everything together. And people take those things for granted today. And that's why we have freedom of mobility so that you are free to travel. You know, it's just this mindset. When our politicians and bureaucrats want to restrict your movements, I really, I, I believe that it's not because they, they're evil people. On the contrary, they think they're trying to do good because they've been screwed up in the head by people at these World Economic Forum meetings and with the videos that they watch online that tell them the world is overpopulated. Nine hundred million from the federal government in Canada, another nine hundred million from the provincial government in Quebec. Watch these other provinces fall into line. You're going to see similar deals across the country. And for that one point eight billion dollars, you get a total of twenty three thousand homes. What will those homes look like? Guaranteed, they're going to look like shoeboxes. Not all of them. They will. Um, still employ the kinds of policies and planning techniques, strategies for uh, urban areas that Canada always embraces, or it has at least since the 1970s, where they integrate different levels of uh, affluence in various communities. It hasn't been a terribly bad strategy insofar as by intermixing geared for income housing with more affluent homes, you know, tucked away in just slightly other areas of suburbs. It, um, it helped minimize some of the uh, more dramatic impacts of uh, geared to income housing, but not entirely. By mixing it all up and increasing density, you get what Leo had yesterday. You get people who have, uh, have problems, who have challenges in life. They maybe don't work. They have very limited income. They have mental health problems, drug abuse issues, you name it. And then we saw on that security video, this guy walks right up onto Leo, Mouth of the South, regular contributor to the program, right? So he's got video footage of the guy, this guy walking right onto his front lawn, grabbing a hold of the mailbox on a pedestal and just toppling the thing over, just vandalizing it. Maybe he was planning on taking it with him to get scrap metal prices for it or whatever it was. Anyway, it was just damage, senseless where you get shootings, you get prostitution, you get drug dealers, you get gang warfare. 
you get New York City, you get L.A., you get 10 cities, you get homelessness, even when the government continues to try to solve the problems because the government never solves the poverty problem. The government never solves the homeless problem. They always spew utopian ideals and, and make all kinds of utopian promises to people, but they never, ever actually end up solving the problems completely. And sometimes they make them worse. Densification. It's not the lamppost. It's having too many people jammed into a small area. And more than that, and it's not even so much that it's a bad thing necessarily to have those kinds of options for people. Some people want to live in a more condensed community. There are real advantages. Don't have to have, don't have to pay for a car. You don't have to pay for parking. You, everything you need is within a 15 minute walk. But not everybody wants to live that way. And if somebody doesn't want to live that way, but they're forced to, that's going to screw with their heads. They're going to get depressed because they're not living the kind of life that they want to live. It's not healthy. That's government making choices for people. That's not freedom. They say they're solving a housing problem, but they're really violating inadvertently, indirectly. Your rights. Because while they say they're helping you, they're really trapping you. They're trapping us all. In these 15-minute districts, through... Socialism, government control, government planning, like giving away housing, subsidizing it to a point where it it's a disincentive for people to work. Because if you work, they penalize you and then you they make you pay instead of getting your stuff for free. What would you rather do? Sit at home and watch Netflix while you eat Lay's potato chips with your feet up or go to work and end up with the exact same apartment shoebox that you already have. Work and get the shoebox or not work and get the shoebox. And therein lies the trap. And for those who aspire to more, well, you're going to pay, baby. Pay, pay, pay. And that's what they do. They make you pay. In order to get that Canadian or American dream, you pay for the uh, other guy's shoebox and you might get a little bit better of a home. But you're going to be right next door to the people living in the shoeboxes and the socioeconomic problems that are created by that, by those 15-minute districts. Well, you might have that house, but don't be surprised when someone walks onto your front lawn and tears down your mailbox. Don't be surprised when somebody carjacks you in your driveway. Like we saw earlier in the broadcast. Thank you, government. And then the laws don't protect you. Because the neoliberal woke socialists protect 
the criminals because they're victims. And in a world of identity politics and a hierarchy where the more victim status, the people with victim status, you know, the, the more you're oppressed, the more power you have. Everything's turned upside down. You work hard, you get penalized. You don't work, you get crap for free. Who's better off? Maybe you're better off living in the shoebox and not having to work at all or work very little. See, it's about incentive. It's the story of the little red hen, isn't it? Who harvested the grain? Who, who went through all the work to make the bread? Who gets to keep the bread? Oh, no, you got to share all that bread. But they didn't harvest the grain. They didn't bake the bread. Doesn't matter. Why? Oh, well, now we can get into all these other issues, too. Who's entitled to the land? Who's, who's it rightfully belong to? Now we're into a whole different ball of wax, aren't we? Well, there's your 15-minute cities, folks. It's not the lamppost. That's the least of your worries. They've already got these things. Cell phones. And other ways to track you. <laughs> Densification. That's, the, that's, that's what it is. Densification. You're going to hear more about it. You're going to hear more about it. And it's, it's an experiment. Canada's already an experiment. A multicultural experiment. Now you're getting densification with diversity. Wow. Talk about a powder keg. What are we seeing on the streets right now? What are we seeing on the streets? We are seeing conflict, aren't we? And lots of it. We're seeing cop cars vandalized. We're seeing people angry, people fighting, Palestinians, pro-Palestinians. We're seeing Jews targeted. We've seen... Jewish schools in Montreal shot at with guns. We've seen Molotov cocktails thrown at synagogues. Huh. Before that, we saw many Christian churches across Canada burned to the ground. And the people who attend those churches during that period of time were so afraid they wouldn't even stay can't get them to talk about it in public. And the government's determined to jam people into spaces even more closely together. Densification? If we've got this much conflict, this much friction now, what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> 
when you bring in another 500,000 Palestinians, put them all in shoebox size apartments, next to a bunch of uh, Jewish people. Or maybe not straight up Jewish people. Maybe they're just what people, some people would classify as Zionists. What's a Zionist? Just anybody that supports Israel. <laughs> yeah, anybody that just supports the, you know, the expansion of Israel, I guess, that they determine is a supporter of Israel. I think it's really kind of coming down to whoever, whoever they decide is a Zionist is a Zionist. A Jew sympathizer, maybe that's the way to put it. And then you get, uh, so you get this kind of stuff going on. I believe this is in New York. Pretty heavy duty uh, population density there. I believe this is New York. <laughs> Look what they did to the police car. Spray paint, IDF, KKK. I don't even know why that makes it. It doesn't even make sense. Well, man, I don't know. Maybe someone could explain that one to me. They spray painted KKK all over the police car at a pro-Palestine protest and IDF, Israeli Defense Force. Wow. Interesting. That's New York City. Now I can't sit here tonight and say that densification is the cause of all of that. I'm just saying that if you're going to put even more people crammed into smaller spaces and a pursuit of a densification policy, which is that's the word that keeps surfacing. They keep using it over and over and over and over again. You're going to get trouble. You're going to have problems. You're going to have unintended consequences. I could go on and I could really dig into those studies and show you what I've been reading over the last 24 hours. A lot of this I've always been aware of and it's been my opinion anyway that people need space to live truly healthy and productive lives to pursue the Canadian and American dream. The dream of home ownership. Pride in ownership. When you actually own something, you take pride in it. You take care of it. I want my kids... And they're already grown now and living their own lives. But I would, I, I, I wish they could, could have had a little bit different life. 
Maybe it's just uh, that I'm old-fashioned, getting a little long in the tooth, a little gray in here. Maybe I'm living too much in the past, but I don't think so. Drive-in movies. Wide open spaces. Affordable fuel. A car. Which to me, ever since I was a teenager, that was freedom. Still is. I want to go somewhere. I go get in my car and I just go. Just like you can. I don't want that to end. Especially not when we live in a country that is so vast. And I want to be able to go when I want to go. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. I don't want to check in with anyone. I don't want to flash a pass. I don't want anyone checking on me. If I want to leave my phone at home so they can't track me, so be it. Am I worried about them watching me from the lamppost? Not really. I don't think I matter to them that much, not on an individual basis. They're really just trying to manipulate your behavior through a variety of incentives and penalties. That's what taxation has always been used for. They don't want you to drive as much, they put a gas tax on. They don't want you eating as many potato chips, they tax potato chips. They don't want you smoking. They tax cigarettes to the point where they become unaffordable. Today, I saw a story, ironically, a mainstream media report that looked at banning tobacco altogether, banning it, making it illegal. Some people want to do that. I'm not in favor of smoking so much, but I'm not in favor of banning it. If people want it, I think they should be allowed to have it. It's been around a long time. It's about personal choice, freedom. It's about less government. Less, not more. We need some, but the balance is off. It's about individual rights and freedoms. It really just always comes down to that. It's about believing in people, believing that people have, that are, it's believing people are smart enough to act in their own best interests. I believe you know what is best for you. Not that people always make the right choices. Making mistakes is part of being human. It's part of the human condition, the human experience. We're not perfect. But people should be allowed to make their own mistakes, too. And when people make good choices, they should be rewarded for that. And we largely are. If you are smart, work hard, make good choices in life, you should be rewarded for that with a good outcome, with a good job, because you went to school. You set a goal, you've got a career. And then because you've got the career and you work hard every day, you do all the right things, your money should be worth something, not inflated to the point where it's not worth anything. You should be able to save enough to get yourself a home and get yourself that American or Canadian dream through hard work, 
we can still do that. Just need a different attitude, different mindset. Stop letting the government force things. They're screwed up in the heads, too. They're screwed up in their heads, too. They've been fed a line, all these guys. I think they're, uh, I think they're psychologically compromised. Outside forces, folks. Manipulating us, screwing with our heads, spinning up narratives, feeding us information online, rewriting our history, tearing stuff apart, being disruptive. There are forces out there that want to destroy the West, forces that want to destroy our country. It appears as though they're working from within, and they are, because they've manipulated some of our leaders. They've got them screwed up too. And then people on the other side, well, some people on the other side are screwed up too. And isn't it strange how the people on the inside who are screwed up, I would say by outside forces, are working to tear the whole system down from within because they're clearly not working in our own best interests, but they think they're working in the best interests of humanity. And yet on the other side, other people want to tear down the government by... <laughs> by going after and tear down the system by going after the people who are on the inside. So they're actually both working to tear everything down. The objective is actually the same. Now you tell me if you've got government politicians, bureaucrats, probably half of them are so screwed up that they, they think that by working against the best interests of the people in the country, that they're doing good and that they're, they're tearing things apart, ripping the country apart at the seams. And then people on the other side who see them doing all these terrible things, they want to tear the whole system down too. So you've got everybody trying to tear the system down. The only thing that's keeping the system together is the system itself. And you tell me, is that really, is that really us? Are we really the enemy? Because the enemy is us on both sides. Can't you see it? I can illustrate this more clearly maybe another night. I've got more. I've got, I've got lots to support what I'm saying tonight. But if that isn't just blatantly obvious to you at this point, after what I've just shared with you over the last two hours, it just makes no sense unless you look at it and you say, no, there's somebody else above pulling the strings. But it's not. I'm telling you right now, it's not the cliched anti-Semitic trope that people are being roped into. That's not what it is. <laughs> that's just a cliche. And that's just designed to mislead you. And that's just a scapegoat. It's just a scapegoat to get to, to lay blame on someone to hide that somebody who's actually who really is working against you, pointing their finger over there and saying, oh, no, it's right over there. It's those people. It's those same people, same ones as the last time.
We had the answer all along. It's those guys over there. Those ones. Let's go get them. You hear somebody telling you crap like that. Those are the people you better start looking at more closely. You can fool some of the people some of the time, but not all the people all the time. And eventually the people do kind of clue in. People kind of clued in, I think, a bit after World War II. And, you know, I think that we kind of had the answers here in North America, in Canada and the United States. The war ended. Okay. Yeah. Operation Paperclip. You bought some of those Nazis over here, blah, blah. Yeah, but the war was over. So we had to let the war be over. We had to get past that. And we did. But in Canada and the United States, we didn't really embrace communism and we really didn't embrace fascism. It was something different. It was freedom. True freedom. Real freedom with where people were free to express different points of view. And we took a little of this system and a little of that system. And we kind of put together a hybrid system of different stuff. And I think for a long time, it kind of worked. We kind of hit our stride there for a while, I think, and we were on the right track. Things were pretty darn good. Drive in movies and see the USA and your Chevrolet and Americana. National pride was a form of nationalism. Oh, and don't give me this nationalism is evil crap. Nationalism is fine as long as you're not using <laughs> the power of the state and political ideology to scapegoat somebody or some group of people and then target them and kill them. But it's okay to be proud of your country. It's okay to be proud of being American. It's okay to be a proud Canadian. Darn right. We need that. We need it. We need to get it back. We need to embrace freedom real freedom, but not like this. I don't know what it is people think they've been fighting for lately, but when I'm listening to people, they are not fighting <laughs> for anything that I ever thought of as freedom. They, they seem to be fighting for the very things that they're fighting against because they haven't figured out that the enemy is not us. Not really. doesn't have to be it's okay to be proud being american it's okay to be proud of your country be a canadian it's okay to, to 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 be proud of the fact that we have taken in people from all over the world here from all different cultures and yeah diversity yeah well like i said many times it's not our strength it is our challenge And just because we've got some of this group of people doesn't mean that the whole country is like that group of people. And just because we've got people from all the different groups of people. And I think what we need to do is get back to that vision or get a new vision even, a revised vision of national pride. Not the, tr not the old... BS, 
I'm a communist. I'm a, I'm a fascist having everybody fight. I'm a whatever. Be a proud Canadian. Unify behind that. Maintain your individuality, but rally under the flag, the Canadian flag. Rally under the American flag. Get out there. Elect some damn politicians that want to go see the USA and their damn Chevrolet. Canada in your Ford or your Chrysler or your Honda <laughs> or your Volvo or if you really want one go get yourself a Tesla I just would prefer that you make the choice yourself and not have Justin Trudeau or Joe Biden forcing you to by one thing or the other, or do without. It's not too late. It's not too late. We can still do it. People just need to figure it out. I hate that phrase. Gotta wake up! Because I feel like everybody's walking around one eye closed, half awake. Open the other eye. See the bigger picture. Get up. Take an aerial view. And you'll see that where we live, the things that we have, it's not so bad. It wasn't so bad. We had solutions. We were on the right path. We've just let other people take advantage of the darkest period in our history with the pandemic. It scared the living crap out of us. And lead us to a place where we've lost faith and hope in our institutions, in our government, in ourselves. Stop destroying each other. Stop. We have to stop destroying ourselves. You need to have faith in yourself. You need to believe in yourself. You need to believe in your country. It's okay. It's going to be okay. Because around here, man, we get it wrong a lot until we get it right. We're going to get it right. Hope that helps. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'll be back tomorrow. I'll be back early at 1 p.m. tomorrow afternoon for that special debate on Israel-Palestine. Kevin Michalitzi, Laurie Spencer, and a couple of special guests. We're going to square off and uh, I don't know. I don't know what that's going to do. I don't know where it's going to go. But I think it's going to be 
going to be heated. If you are so inclined, please support the channel at uh, maverickdonations.com. There it is right there. <clears throat> That's the Give, Send, Go donation page. You can also support free speech, freedom of media, and this channel by donating at freedomreporters.com. We greatly appreciate the support. For those of you <clears throat> who have shirts coming to you, they did go out, so they should be arriving in due course well in advance of Christmas. And we probably will be getting some more of those made pretty soon, too. Um, but yeah, we really do need the, the help and uh, appreciate those of you who continue to or have supported the, uh, the channel. So appreciate that very much. Please like, share, subscribe, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Rumble, subscribe on Rumble. Make sure you hit the notification bell on the YouTube channel. And yeah, you can, so you can support the channel through the Rumble Rants. You guys know the drill. You know the drill. I'll be back tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern time for that special debate uh, tomorrow afternoon, special transmission. And then back at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for another very special broadcast. We'll have a representative from Veterans for Freedom on tomorrow night because tomorrow in Canada, is Remembrance Day. And with that, good night all. Love you. Catch you on the flip side. This has been a Maverick Multimedia Productions.